the elder. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you just as you are progressing spiritually. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you were doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. So then, uh, for the last week... Uh, we have been experiencing what the media have described as a petrol crisis. And we've had this you know, repeated reminder that it's not because there's a lack of petrol. There's just been a, an increase, a spike uh, in demand, so to speak. Now, it's not that everyone who's been queuing up has been selfish. You know, some people genuinely needed to queue up to get petrol. But you know, at the end of the day, we are in this issue because of selfishness in the UK. Because of a me and my tribe mentality. Now, whether that is a selfishness that comes from the media, you know, there's only one way this story was going to go, wasn't it? After toilet rolls, <laughs> you, they, they should have known. But hey, you know, it's news that is going to sell, so it's a me and my tribe. Now, or whether that's the selfishness of those who are taking more than is necessary, because me and my family come first. One of the things that we have seen over this last week is the damage that such selfish actions cause. See, there's not a fuel crisis because an enemy nation has cut off our fuel supply. And yet selfishness within the nation has basically caused the same result. And as we've been going through you know, 1 and 2 John over these last few weeks, we've seen this repeated warning against an antichrist message. These enemies that are coming in, that are seeking to disrupt, seeking to hinder the gospel message. Now as we come to 3 John... The issue that is being faced is not some deceptive teaching from out there, but it's the deception of a self-exalted heart. And so as a church, we need to watch out. We don't just need to watch out for the deceptive teaching that is out there. We need to watch out for the deception of a heart that would seek to exalt itself, that seeks its own glory. The damage, the danger 
of selfishness. And so this letter, 3 John, if you have a look at it, it's written uh, from the elder, as we mentioned last week, and we've seen as we've gone through this, there's good evidence that this is John the Apostle. And this letter is written to a guy called Gaius. Last week we considered something of hospitality and what hospitality was like in the first century. We compared it to being uh, the difference between a restaurant and a service station. You know, with a service station, you don't know who's going to turn up. They're complete strangers. They're looking for you to provide resources for them. Uh, And that's what it was like in the first century. As you came to someone's house, that was a place where you would get protection, you would get connections with the community, and that comes being under that person's roof. Now, often because these people were strangers and you didn't know who they were, they tended to be sent with uh, something called letters of commendation. It's a bit like a, a work reference. Someone saying, I can vouch for this person. Have a look at verse 12 here in this letter. It says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. So it's likely this letter is also serving as the letter of commendation. Demetrius may well be the person who's delivering this letter to Gaius. And he's going to this person Gaius because Gaius is known for someone who gives hospitality. And the elder seems to be sending Demetrius to Gaius because not everyone in this area, in this community, is being hospitable. We see in verse 9, Diotrephes does not welcome other believers. Now in 2 John, last week, we considered how the church needs a door and that door out of love needs to be closed on false teaching. And yet here... Diotrephes is closing the door, not out of a love for Christ, not out of a love for others, but out of a self-love. And so it's not just deceptive teaching we need to be watching out for. We need to watch out for that deception of a self-exalting heart within us. And so verse 11 reads, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And that's going to become something of an anchor point for us as we go through uh, this letter Uh, We're going to focus in particularly on verse 11 and see now what is this evil that we're not to imitate and what is the good that we are to do. So, we begin then. Do not imitate what is evil. Do not imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good. Now in the context of this letter, these evil actions are described in the actions of Diotrephes, this self-exaltation. We're commanded to not imitate the way of Diotrephes. And so what is it that he's doing that is evil? We're just going to focus in a bit more on verses 9 through to 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us and not satisfied with that he even refuses to welcome other believers he stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church so Diotrephes is refusing to support uh, those that it seems the elder is sending those who maybe are coming with these letters of commendation like at verse 9 I wrote to the church but Diotrephes well, he doesn't welcome us so these people have perhaps gone to Diotrephes They've gone with this letter of commendation. 
this reference, so to speak, from the elder. Uh, and Dr. Tu said, no, I want nothing to do with you. You're not coming. You're not staying here. And yet it's more than that because he goes around spreading malicious nonsense. And you could well imagine his sermons become this opportunity to slag off John, to slag off that community and maybe justify why he is not offering hospitality, offering support to those who are coming. And yet again, it's more than that because not satisfied with that, he even refuses to, to welcome the believers and stops then anyone who does want to do it. So there are other people in the church community who are willing to support, to offer this hospitality, and he forbids them from doing so, and if they do, he puts them out of the church. To John last week, warns against showing hospitality to anti-Christ teachers, because to do so, hospitality in that culture is to support and to aid their work. It's like giving petrol to arsonists. But here... Diotrephes is kind of working to just cut off the water supply for the fire brigade. That is what his actions are achieving. He is also working to, to hinder the mission of the gospel. Uh, and why is he doing this? Well, have a look again at verse 9. Diotrephes, who loves to be first. That's the reason that's given. Diotrephes loves to to be first. And we've seen in 1 and 2 John, the elder has no qualms, no hesitation about calling people out for heresy. He calls them antichrists, but that isn't what is leveled against Diotrephes here. Now, as far as we know, Diotrephes is not unorthodox in his doctrine, but he loves to be first. And I may well imagine that Diotrephes probably isn't against church mission. But if it is something that doesn't bolster his reputation, that doesn't bolster his prestige and that of his community, he wants nothing to do with it. The focus is on him. All right, is Diotrephes a member of the Antichrist group? The evidence suggests no. And yet, his actions are still described as evil. He may not be the one who's going out and who's starting the fires, and yet his selfish attitude is achieving the same result. And so we're called here, do not imitate what is evil. That is the example of evil that we are to not imitate. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, how does that apply to us personally? Well, first off, church is not about you. It's not about me. Church does not exist to serve your egos, my egos, our aspirations, our desires, our so-called needs. See, Diotrephes is seeking to use the church's resources to bolster himself. It's all directed towards him. Now that comes as a particular challenge to those of us who are in church leadership. For me personally, it's challenging. As I was praying in preparation for the sermon, I'm praying you know, that I would understand the text well, that I'd be able to communicate it well. I had to stop and ask myself, why am I praying this? What is the end goal that I'm working towards? Now, do I want to understand and communicate this clearly so that the sermon serves me and so it's for my glory and people go, well, Paul really understood that, understood that and that was a really good sermon. 
Or am I praying, am I seeking those things so that the sermon can serve you, it can serve the church, and that it's for the glory of God? It's a challenge particularly for those of us who are in positions of leadership. But even for those of us, you know, who have no desire, no aspiration, we're not even drawn to having our name in lights. That's the thing furthest from our thoughts. We can still walk the same path. And in those moments, you know, when we're tempted to think, I, I don't really get much from the music. It's not my thing. I, I don't get much from the sermon. The fellowship is not that engaging. And we're walking down the same path. And yes, we do need to be fed and nourished. We speak about that need to be nourished, but there's a fine line and it's so easy to cross over and making it as the church should serve us and our needs and our desires. And now that isn't something that I really see manifest at Kingfisher Church. But it doesn't mean it's not something that might be lurking within our hearts. And so we need to watch out. We need to watch out, not just because there's deceptions that are out there, but because there's deceptions within here, within our hearts. That deception of a self-seeking glory. How does this apply to us as a church? Was it Kingfisher? As we saw in that video earlier talking about Highfields, it's not about our name being great. We're not seeking to build Kingfisher's kingdom. That's not the goal. And we need to remind ourselves as we continue to go forward that that's not what we're living for. That's not what we're called for. That's not how we prioritize our resources and our time. Our first question is not how does this benefit me? Our first question needs to be how is this going to serve God's kingdom? Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. You were called to do good. And here in verse 11, uh, the elder is commanding guys to continue in what he's been doing already. And so for us, as we read this, as though this, this isn't a letter that is written to us, but it is for us, it's preserved for us, God has given us this uh, for us. Now, the good that we are to emulate, we see in what has already been said about Gaius and what is to continue. So if you have a look back now um, to verse 3. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. And you may remember as we've gone through um, John's letters, we've seen it in John's gospel, that truth The way that John uses truth is more than just mere facts. Truth is relational. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. The spirit is the spirit of truth. And Gaius here is described as being faithful to the truth and he walks in the truth. So he's not just correct in his doctrine. Now he's walking in a Christ-like manner. Now we live in a, a Christian culture that exalts, that praises, prizes truth intellectually. And there are people, leaders, who are exalted because they eloquently defend the message of the gospel. And people like them, people praise them because they say, they say it how it is. 
But did they say it like Jesus? That's the question. Do they say it like Jesus? And yes, Jesus could be blunt sometimes, but he wasn't seeking his own glory. Sometimes I think in, in our Christian culture, we would rather a Diotrephes than a Gaius. And yet this is the way that is commended. This is the example to follow. Being faithful to the truth, continuing to walk in the truth, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Gaius is one who puts into practice now what we read in 1 John 3, 17 to 18. Do you see that in verses 6 and 7? Actually, let's just go back to verse 5. And you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honours God. It was for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. So here, brothers and sisters who are in need, uh, and Gaius offers them that hospitality. Remember, hospitality in the first century, that's more than just offering someone a meal or a bed for a night. That is offering them the support and provision through hospitality. You, you kind of become the conduit through which those individuals are connected to that community. The way that they receive that support and that protection and the privileges of community. See, this is more like Dragon's Den than Come Dine With Me. And if those TV references mean nothing to you, don't worry about it. But hospitality, what it does, it cuts through this me and my tribe mentality. Because resources in hospitality are directed to others. They are brought into the community. And so that is why in 2 John, you should not, you cannot offer hospitality to an antichrist. You are not to be supporting them in their teaching, but in 3 John... You do, and you should be offering hospitality to those who have gone out for the sake of the name. Now, those who are part of that Christian mission. It's for the sake of the name. It is not for the sake of our name and for our kingdom, but for the sake of the name, for the name of Jesus, for the kingdom of God. And so last week, we saw the church needs to be a church that has a door. And this week we see that the church needs to be a church that doesn't have walls. That our view of mission needs to be beyond our immediate borders. And so verse 8, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, those who've gone out for the sake of the name, so that we may work together for the truth. And in the context of 3 John, this is the good that we are to imitate, not building our kingdom, our mini empire, but that we are working together for the truth, for the sake of the name, for the gospel, for God's kingdom. And that's why it's good that we support Christian mission. And that we should continue to support Christian mission. Now as a church, we may not, and we probably won't ever personally benefit from some of the things we support. If a Christian, or if someone becomes a Christian in France, they are not going to choose us as their local church, are they? We are not personally going to benefit from that. But that's okay. Because it's not about us. It's not about the name of Kingfisher. For the sake of the name, for the sake of Christ, this is the good that we are called to do. And this isn't just a matter of patting ourselves on the back and saying, thank you God that you have 
made me not like Diotrephes. This letter is given to us not so that our heads swell, but that our hearts are enlarged. If you have a look at verse 11 and 12, Gaius isn't just commended for what he's done, but he's encouraged to continue in it more and more specifically here by offering that hospitality to Demetrius and probably others who are with him. And so as a church, it's good that we support mission, whether that's local mission, whether that's, as we're doing this evening, praying for other churches in the FIEC, gospel mission in this area, gospel mission across the nation, gospel mission across the world. It's good that we do that and we want to continue in doing that. We need to be asking ourselves and just keeping an eye out for those opportunities. Now, how can we serve? Uh, What has God blessed us with? What resources has he given us that we can further uh, the mission of the gospel, not for the sake of our name, but for the sake of his name? Now, of course, our resources are finite. We can't do everything. But what we do do needs to be out of love and it needs to be for the sake of the name for God's glory. Not out of a self-love, not seeking our own glory and for the sake of our name. This is the good that we are called to imitate. And yet the question remains now, how do we do that? How do we imitate the good? Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think we, we know, we recognise that lurking within our hearts is that tendency towards a self-glory, a self-exaltation. And whether that's one personally or just part of the group that we belong to. How do we do this good? How are we empowered to do good? Have a look again at verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. See, God makes the difference. The one who does evil, and in the context here, evil being self-seeking glory, has not seen God. Therefore, we could say the one who does good, the one who seeks God's glory, is someone who has seen God. To do good comes from seeing God's glory. And as we recognise that deception within our own hearts, the answer is that our hearts need to be captivated by a greater glory. By the glory of God. If you think about it, no one is drawn towards a candle on a bright summer's day. You don't light a candle on a bright summer's day and people don't look to that for light. The glory of the sun just outshines that candle. And the greater glory of God outshines our pitiful self-glory. What we don't need to do is make room in our hearts. Because when the the light of God's glory is seen, then that pitiful self-glory just fades away into nothing. See, what we need and what we continue to need is to have this greater vision of the glory of God. It was a prayer that Moses prayed for. God revealed to him his name. But we see this glory, John tells us, revealed in Christ. That glory that, that Moses 
sought is the glory that is revealed in Christ. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our vain glory will melt away in the light of God's glory as seen in Christ. Now we are to imitate what is good. How are we to imitate what is good? We need this greater vision, a continued greater vision of the glory of Christ. So let's spend some time now. Spend a a moment in quiet praying. Praying that we would have that greater vision day by day, moment by moment, that our hearts would be captivated by God's greater glory and that everything that we do not for the sake of our pitiful glory, but for the joy and for the glory of his name. Spend a moment in quiet prayer. Father, we considered this morning uh, the message that the world would seek to draw us into, to seek our own, to seek, seek what our heart desires, with the empty promise that there is joy, there is fulfillment. And yet that pitiful self-glory leads only to our own hurt and the hurt of others. Father, would you captivate our hearts more and more with that vision of Christ, of your glory displayed in him. Lord, that we would see the beauty and the majesty, Lord, and the joy that it is to, to seek your glory. Father, in this coming week, and as we meet together at various points throughout the week, whether it's in, in home groups or just messaging one another, Lord, may we be seeing uh, afresh, in a new way, in a deeper way, Lord, your glory revealed in Christ. May it cause our hearts to sing, uh, and may, may that tendency within our hearts to seek that that self-glory, that that self-exalting glory just fade away. Lord, as hearts are captivated with that greater vision of who you are. Lord, may we be those who are living for you and so, Lord, doing good, doing those actions, uh, living not for the sake of our name, Oh, but for the sake of the name of Christ. Lord, for your kingdom, for your glory, may your will be done, your purposes fulfilled on earth, in our lives, now, today, this week. Lord, for the kingdom, the glory and the power, I belong to you. Amen.